Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk all about Haunted Canada. I love Canada, and I love haunted locations, so let's talk all about the most haunted places in Canada. But first, as always, we have shoutouts. That's right, shoutouts go out to Paul, Ricardo, the Croatian Sensation, Julia, Damien and Daniel, Jasmine, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Tanya, Jen, Alexandra, Simon, Eek, Amy, George, Connie, Seth, Christine, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Adam, Karen, Ashley, Krista, Nick, Harry, Harry the Bassist, Eerie the Cat, Eerie the Cat, I love Eerie, Fran, Dave and Sean, Carolyn, what's that? Ian, Lorelai, Mickey, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Carrie, Jim, Kelly, Lauren and Phil Mangano, Bill, Lash, Russell, Tanya, Donald, Chris, Gamerfan, Brandon, I, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Sean, Bishop, Cole, Lauren and David, Paula, Alicia, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Rachel, Lindsay, Lindsay Hahn and family, Elliot, Trey, Erica, John, Jennifer, Megan, Aaron, Jeff T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Joshua, Rosa, Shelley, Lauren McCune, hey howdy hi, Veronica, Nick, Autumn, J Mark, Amber, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Megan, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Laura, Ruth O, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson. Happy early birthday to Jamie. Juliana, Dan, Matt, Dill, Laura Pitts, and two special shoutouts to Joe Teague and Grant Imahara. Alrighty, let's move on to Paranormal News. Paranormal News. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paranormal News. The first story in Paranormal News. No, satanic rituals are not happening in the San Bernardino National Forest, officials say. Sorry, everybody. Rumors of increased satanic cult activity in the San Bernardino Forest have been put to rest. Signs warning campers of satanic cult activity in the San Bernardino National Forest are a hoax. Ah. The officials actually did it in a tweet on Thursday. The signs, complete with the USFS logo, caught the attentions of campers. Unsafe area, the post sign read. It went on to say that due to increased satanic cult activity in the area, camping, camping was not a vi Camping was not advised until further notice. The tweet actually says, Rumor control, this sign has been posted around the forest and is spreading on social media. This is not an official Forest Service sign, and there is no known threats of this type to visitors. 
and the actual sign itself was attention campers. Due to increased satanic uh, satanic cult activity in the area, camping is not advised. Camping is not advised until further notice. Several pets have been reportedly sacrificed in satanic rituals. Several missing person reports have been filed with local authorities. Areas affected: Angeles Oaks, Barton Fiat's. I'm assuming that's Barton Flats. Barton Flats, Yellow Post Sites 1 through 47, Heart Bar, South Fork, Coon Creek, Fish Creek, and surrounding areas. If suspicious activity is observed, leave the area immediately and call the police. So, um, yeah. Sounds a little too fishy that all of a sudden they're saying, no, no, it's fine. Go back into those campgrounds. You're not going to be killed by a satanic cult. I'm just kidding. It's, it's all fake. It was fake. The post was fake. The signs, signs saying, hey, these are fake, Don't you can believe those. Don't worry. You can go camping. You're not going to be, well, you're probably, I'm not going to say not, because then someone's going to happen, it's going to happen to one of my listeners, and then you guys are going to be like, see? You're probably not going to be killed by a satanic cult if you go camping in the San Bernardino National Forests. Probably. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News is one I actually talked about in a patron-exclusive episode. There's actually a follow-up to a story. Well, let me just get into it. It's very interesting, though. It's been 47 years since Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson contacted the Jackson County Sheriff's Office claiming they were abducted by aliens. That's right, the Pascagoula UFO incident. They said... This news story, I guess, says, I don't know who's they, they said they didn't make it up. That's right, an interview recording, an interview recording surfaces in this alien abduction case. He was genuinely scared. He was telling Charlie, don't talk to the deputies, they'll come back and get us. They didn't make it up, I can guarantee that. Apparently it was about the time the coronavirus hit, Parker of Moss Point said, of when he received two copies of the recording. He said, I've been talking with him on the internet. He just showed up at my house. Parker explained the man who gave him the copies of the recording was an officer with the Pascagoula Police Department on the night the abduction occurred. But he says he doesn't want to be identified. Parker said the officer was involved because he was fielded roughly 50 phone calls that night from people claiming to have seen something unusual in the sky. When I sat down to listen to it, it hit me how real all of this was, Parker said. It kind of choked me up a little bit. I'd never heard it. Not the full recording, just the piece where Charlie and I were locked in the room and they walked out. I was surprised they had the whole thing on tape. At the time, Parker said he did not know where this recording... He did not know there was a recorder in the room. I had no idea, Parker said. Apparently, Charlie didn't either. They was all hid. Eh, all right. So the interview took place on October 11, 1973, after Parker and Hickson claimed they were abducted by aliens while fishing from the banks of the Pascagoula River. News of the event thrust the two into the media spotlight and put the town of Pascagoula on the map. So, if you want to know more about that, well, let me see. I'll go a little bit farther in. It says, now the 47-year-old story continues with the release of the interview recording. So I'm very eager to hear the recording for myself, but it's really interesting that 47 years later, evidence about a UFO abduction can come to light. This stuff is still out there. There is still a chance for us to find out more about Roswell, more about Wright-Patterson, more about Area 51, more about a lot of these UFO incidents. Just because it's been about 50 years doesn't mean everybody's dead. 
We're never going to find anything else out. We still have a chance. This is awesome. This is exactly the kind of stuff that I love to see. Like I said, I can't wait to hear the recordings. I'm hopefully they make it available. I would gladly play the entire recording on a special episode of Paranormal Almanacs. I'm going to reach out, see if I can get in touch with this guy, see what his plans are for these recordings. I doubt he's just going to allow me to play it on here, but I'd like to see if I could interview him myself. So hopefully I'll have a follow-up to the follow-up on a future episode. And this next one is actually older news, but I'm still going to read it because it was sent to me by a listener. It cracked me up. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to read that on Paranormal News. I don't care that it's a bit older. The headline is, Ghostbusters discover groans in cemetery they're investigating are from midnight porn film shoot. They were going at it like rabbits. She was a blonde in her 30s and still had her knickers around her ankles. That's the headline. That's right, real-life Ghostbusters discovered moans and groans in cemetery they were investigating were from a midnight porn movie shoot. The group were stunned to stumble across a couple having sex amongst the tombstones, surrounded by men filming with cameras and sound equipment. The disused 19th century graveyard in Skullcoats, East York, is meant to be haunted with ghouls, kids singing Ring Around the Rosie, and ghostly monks, including one called Henry, wandering about. But the duo quickly realized they were being watched by strangers the woman, re the woman reacted like she had seen a ghost and bolted. Paranormal expert Mike Covell, 37, of Most Haunted, said, The woman was in her 30s, and when, we sh and when she saw us, she pushed the bloke off, pulled up her knickers, and ran. They were going at it like rabbits. She was a blonde in her 30s. Eh, yeah, I already read that stuff. All right, we looked at her, and she looked at us. Then she pushed the bloke off, pulled them up, and bolted. The guy ran after her, desperately trying to protect his privates from the brambles. We didn't know where to look. Good job all 12 people on the tour were adults because sometimes kids come along on these ghost tours. One elderly man was so incensed he was ready to chase after them with his walking stick, but I persuaded him to calm down and eat his sandwiches. We once saw a monk walking through the cemeteries, but nothing like this. It was such a beautiful day, too. Yeah, well, there you go. You go looking for weird crap in cemeteries in the middle of the night, you might find some weird crap in the cemeteries in the middle of the night. Okay, up next in paranormal news, new class of radio astronomical objects discovered, odd radio circles. An international team of astronomers have discovered an unexpected new class of radio astronomical objects consisting of a circular disk, which in some case is limb brightened and sometimes, con sometimes contains a galaxy at its center. They named them odd radio circles. These objects do not seem to correspond to any known type of astronomical object. So what exactly are they? No idea. Nobody knows. But these odd radio circles are not alien of origin. There might be extraterrestrials that live there, but they are not extraterrestrial of origin. I got a lot of people sending me this. Plus, I saw it on a lot of the UFO groups that I watch on Facebook, that I keep checks on in Facebook, that are... The most loony of the all of them. But all these people are like, see, that's proof. They found UFOs in telescopes. They were looking through telescopes and they found UFOs. If they would have just read as far as I just read to you, they would have found that, no, they aren't UFOs. They aren't odd radio transmissions. They're just odd radio circles, a new type of classification. 
So that's all we really need to know about that one. The reason I added that one to Paranormal News again was because I got a bunch of people saying, hey, more radio bursts. Nope, sorry. But let's move on to the next story in Paranormal News. It's coming from inside the house. Ghost stories from Amherstburg's Park House. The Park House Museum is 223 years old and full of ghost stories. This one comes out of Canada. The Park House Museum is the oldest building in Amherstburg. It sits on Dalhousie, Dalhousie Street with the Detroit River behind it. Originally built in the 1770s, it was dismantled and floated down the Detroit River to Amherstburg in the summer of 1798. In the home's 223 years of history, it's had its fair share of ghostly encounters. The parlor is currently set up to resemble what a funeral would have looked like 200 years ago. It's also the location of the first sighting of who, of who visitors call Mr. Park. A staff member and a visitor were reportedly in the parlor when the staff member saw a man with a jacket walk by and the visitor heard someone walking by. The staff member excused themselves, went to go help the person as they got around the corner. Nobody was there. When the staff member turned back into the parlor, the visitor asked if that person needed help, and they were told, hey, there's nobody there. So apparently it's Mr. Park's office. Just through the parlor is Mr. Park's office, another location with multiple ghost stories where some have even heard Mr. Park at work. We did have a staff member. They were in the parlor working. Out of the corner of their eye, they saw someone get up out of the chair and walk across the doorway. Next to the office is the basement door where the current offices are. Pujit Papak said, Pujit Papak? All right. Pujit Papak said, there have been many times when staff had been alone only to hear walking, singing, and sometimes humming. We've heard music playing through the music. We've heard the music box playing, glasses on the table clinking, but we don't know who's doing it because there's nobody there. The original back door to the home is now the door to op that opens to a hallway into the kitchen and the back room. It was added in the 19th century, and they said the door will open completely and close completely on its own. Sometimes what does happen is it'll be locked. We don't have the skeleton key for it, but you'll come up here and it'll be locked and you'll have to wait until it unlocks itself. The kitchen is another place where they see ghosts as well. They say after one class, a woman was returning to the kitchen to get her wedding ring when she heard, get out, from the hallway. She refuses to come back here alone. Another time, they were training a new worker when they both heard loud knocking near the front of the house. The worker went to check it out, but no one was there. When the worker got back to the kitchen, he said no one was there, and the knocking happened again. The staircase right beside it is where the original back door once stood. Looking up, visitors can see an old doll looking down to the first floor. People have reported being followed by a shadow down the staircase, and just a few weeks ago, Mrs. Park may have spoken to a child. That's right. A mother and her little girl were taking a tour. They stopped by the stairwell, and the little girl asked if she could go upstairs. She was told they couldn't because it was closed for exhibit construction. But... The little girl said there was a lady up there talking to her who wanted to know what she needed, but the curator was not investigating. They said, I certainly did not turn around to look. There's also the upstairs bedroom. The ceiling is much lower on the second floor. At the top of the stairs is a door leading into a bedroom where one of the most famous park house stories took place. About 30 years ago, a woman came in to take a self-guided tour. Before she left, she thanked the curator at the time for the lovely staff but the curator was the only one there. 
The woman insisted there was a woman in this bedroom that was wearing a black dress who was helping her with all of her questions. The curator at the time then locked the door and went through the home, but no one else was there. The woman realized she was the only person up there and, and insisted she had seen a ghost. She ran out of the building and said she would never come back to this haunted place again. A woman who lived across the street from the park house gave a similar description of a woman she saw standing near the bedroom window. Inside the bedroom is a rope bed. Instead of a mattress, there are ropes tied underneath the frame to support people while they sleep. Pujit Papak said she's the only one who tied the ropes, so it's a bit too loose to actually use, but it regularly looks like someone's been napping there. You can make the bed nice and perfect again, leave the room, come back an hour later, and again it looks like someone's been laying in the exact same spot. The former bedrooms to the left of the top of the stairs is another door which opens to a large display room. It was once two bedrooms, but the wall was taken down in the 1970s to make, make it larger for exhibitions. Last summer, they were training a handful of new people on how to give ghost tours when the new hires got a perfect example. We heard footsteps on the staircase coming up and down, and then someone on the other side of the door. We knew we were the only ones in the building. One of the students said, hey, leave us alone. We're trying to work here. But the curator said, I said, Mrs. Park, if you need help, ring the bell like everyone else. And not 10 seconds later, the bell on the half door in the gift shop started ringing uncontrollably. Another student gets up and runs halfway downstairs to see the place is empty. As she calls back to the group, telling them there's no one there, the bells on the front door start to shake uncontrollably. So that is a very cool place that apparently you can still tour. Once again, it's Amherstburg Park House, a very haunted place in Canada. Oh, did I already start the Canada Ghost Story episode in Paranormal News? Why, yes, I did. Let me read you one more before we take a quick break. This is still Paranormal News, don't worry. Let me read you one more before we take a break. This is still paranormal news segment. Holy crap! Bathurst Historical House attracts ghost hunters. Canadian paranormal expeditions spent time in the house to try and connect with the spirits. While she hasn't encountered a ghost herself, Melinda Jarrett, president of the Dowsett Hennessy House, doesn't doubt others may have seen spirits in the historic Bathurst House. With reports over the years of an apparition at the top of the stairs and children playing on the landing, Jarrett said a team of investigators from the Canadian Paranormal Expedition spent time in the house to see if ghosts made themselves known. The house is again more than 200 years old, and the homestead, which sits at the top of a hill on St. Peter's Avenue, St. Peter Avenue, overlooks the Bay of Chaleur, was home to the Dowsett family first and then the Hennessy family. With two large families living there and numerous guests over two centuries, Jarrett said deaths did occur in the house and a number of wakes were held there as well. She said, I'm a historian and I believe in facts, so I do believe that people believe. There is no question about that. There's absolutely no question that people believe they've had experiences in this house. Jarrett said it is thought the apparition at the top of the stairs might be Rufus Milliken, a Scottish immigrant who boarded who boarded with the Dowsett family and died there unexpectedly in the winter of 1818. Rufus was a Protestant and he was English and he was, a, he was in a Catholic Acadian home. He died and it was the winter and they heated the house with wood. She said no embalming was done in those days and concerns with preserving the body, the Dowsetts put the body out in the snowbank. They also didn't contact the local Protestant congregation to properly prepare the body. 
the local Protestants were furious and they wrote about it in a letter to they wrote about it in a letter to Fredericton complaining about the treatment of the Protestant Rufus Milliken who had died. Fast forward 150 years to the sighting of Milliken's ghost. The story goes there was a young lad in the house. He was walking up the stairs and he looks up at the top of the stairs and there's a man standing there. It's a ghost and he freaks out. He got such a fright he fell backwards and he fell down the stairs. Jared also said that tenants who live in the house have claimed there are children dancing or playing on the landing. There is certainly odd behavior by animals in the house barking. What they're barking at? No one knows. Other people claim something has touched them on the shoulder. They have odd feelings when they're in the house. So, if you want another place to visit, the public is invited to visit the Dowsett Hennessy House. There you go. Another Canadian haunted house. Alrighty, let's take a quick break and really get into this episode. Like I said, that was just a little sneak peek of the episode in Paranormal News. Okay, we are back, eh? Let's talk about where you can see some of the best Canadian ghosts on the planet. Did you guys know that Canada has the highest amount of Canadian ghosts on the entire planet? Way more Canadian ghosts are seen in Canada than in New Zealand. That's a fact. Alrighty, let's dive right in and let's talk about some hoser ghosts, eh? Let's start first at the Fairmount Banff Springs Hotel. That's right, it's called the Fairmount Banff Springs Hotel. It opened in 1888 by the Canadian Pacific Railway. Now, it's nestled in the mountains of the Banff National Park and it's nicknamed the Castle of the Rockies. I saw some photos of it and some videos of it. I'm going to nickname it the Canadian Overlook Hotel. I mean, it really looks like the hotel from The Shining. It really does. They say that the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel has had quite a few guests in the 132 years it's been open, including Queen Elizabeth II, Helen Keller, although I bet she couldn't tell you much about the hotel or her stay there, and Marilyn Monroe. There are also a lot of ghosts here. Now this Shining-like hotel is open, so you can actually stay there and see if you can see some Canadian ghosts like the Bride. That's right, the ghost of the Bride has been seen here so much, they even made a coin and a stamp for her in 2014. Here's the story of the Bride. It dates back to the late 1920s, or just old enough to make it hard for Kurt to prove any of it is real. So the story goes that on the young couple's wedding day, the bride in her wedding gown was descending one of the hotel's marble staircases, and like most ghosts in hotel stories, she slipped and fell and died. Or another version of the story is she's you know, bride, wedding day, she's walking down the hotel's marble staircases, but her wedding dress gets ignited from a nearby candle, then she slipped and fell and died. Or, her wedding dress got caught on a nail, uh, it's the same, wedding day, bride in her wedding dress, descending the whole hotel's marble staircase. Her wedding dress gets caught on a nail, and she slips and falls and dies. Basically, she fell, she's dead, and goes to the hotel and staff, and goes to the hotel? I mean, I'm sure they see her too, but guests of the hotel and staff see a ghost in a wedding dress walking up and down the stairs. Kurt here, if they really want to convince me of the tale of the ghost bride, 
She should be catching on fire and tumbling down the stairs. Then you'd really have me interested. If, if every day you could walk in, you could see this ghost bride burst into flames, tumble down some stairs and snap her neck at the bottom of the stairs, I'd be like, holy shit, that is the, that's the ghost of that bride. Just like the stories that I heard on the internet. I don't, so in real life, she's clumsy as fuck and dies or catches on fire and dies. But in the afterlife, well, I guess she has had 132 years to figure out how to climb some stairs. So I guess that does make kind of sense. If she's still falling after 132 years, she's the worst ghost possible. So, you know what? I take it back. I'm glad that in 132 years, she's figured out how to walk up and down stairs. So she's also seen dancing in the ballroom in her wedding dress. So, good honor, I guess. All right, so... Sticking at this Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel, the next most famous ghost has a name and was even known by the staff himself. His name is Sam the Bellman. Now, his actual name is Sam McCauley, and he was a bellman of the hotel, if you couldn't guess by his ghost name, but his ghost name is Sam the Bellman. Now, he worked there in the 60s and the 70s, and he died in the hotel, supposedly, in 1975. But, again, according to guests to the hotel, Sam is still working there. One incident involved two elderly women calling the bell desk for assistance after they found their key wouldn't work in their door. The regular bellman was occupied with other duties and didn't respond for 15 minutes. So he sees that they called, goes up there, goes to their door, knocks on their door. It's unlocked. One of the women said, oh, an older bellman in a plaid jacket matching Sam's description exactly, had helped them. Other stories, including guests seeing Sam in his old office, which is now a guest room, on the mezzanine floor, as well as seeing Sam all over the hotel, including the 6th, the 7th, and the 9th floors of the hotel itself. Okay, still sticking this hotel. Grain of salt time. Legend has it that a man murdered his wife and young daughter before committing suicide in room... 873, 873. Apparently, there was so much paranormal activity after this incident in the room, like guests being awoke by the screams of a family being murdered, so loud that it woke the adjoining room's people up, but also bloody handprints showing up on the walls and the mirrors. Now again, depending where you get your info, these bloody handprints would either disappear before the staff got to the room, or would be there permanently, no matter how they tried to clean it or paint over it. Even the ghost of Sam the Bellman couldn't clean it, apparently. I don't know about the last part. But they couldn't clean it, they couldn't paint over it, so much paranormal activity, they actually boarded up room 873, and it's no more. Now, I can't verify the paranormal activity, but I can tell you that yes, there is no room 873. I called. I talked to them for quite a bit. They confirmed it. I still went, yeah, I don't know if I believe the person I talked to. I mean, they're trying to get me to stay there. It's, you know, a bad time for hotels right now. So let me do some more digging. I saw a bunch of photos. I saw a bunch of videos. And sure enough, there really is a big empty space in the hallway where room 873 should be. And it kind of does look like newer wallpaper or paint or whatever it was, was put over that section of the hallway. 
it's really bizarre. It's really interesting. You can see videos of people going, here's room 871. They go down the hall, here's room 875. They turn, you know, the other way because, you know, odds are on one side, evens are on the other. And they can actually go. It's 871, 872, 874, 875. And between 871 and 875 is a long stretch of hallway, which is very odd and out of place. And it really, really, really does look like they boarded over room 873. So it is interesting. I gotta give them credit. It's very bizarre why there would be no room 873 and why it does look like it's boarded over in that hallway. But here's the thing. With all of the paranormal shows out there, you think someone would pay the hotel enough money to see if room 873 is boarded up, and if so, open it up for an investigation and then board it right back up if that's what the hotel really wants. And I swear to Christ, if any paranormal show that listens to this gets that idea and does it, you better fly me out there for it, because I want to be there when they tear it down, and sure enough, there's a door, and it says 873 on that door. You can film it for your show, you can do all of that, but give Paranormal Almanac credit, or, even better, fly me along. Because, again, with all of these cool shows out there, someone hasn't offered this place enough money to tear it down and see if there's... Or, not even tear it down. There's instruments they can use that, they, you know, you can see through walls and shit. You can see if there's a fucking door there. It seems like it'd be really easy to say, yep, there really was a door there. Alrighty. If you stay there at the hotel, not in room 873, you can't do it. Although if you do, you know, invite me over. But if you stay at the hotel, you can also look for doors that seem to open by themselves, your pillows getting yanked out from under your head as you sleep, dick move ghosts, cold spots being pushed off the bed by a ghost. Again, they got a lot of dick ghosts at this hotel. Orbs, voices, the ding of an elevator when none is around, knocks on the door when there's nobody in the hallway, and if you want to stay at a haunted room there that is available to guests, it's apparently room 672, because almost everything I've read to you on that little list at the back here, you know, that I just read to you, happens in room 672. So... If you like having your pillow yanked out from under your head as you sleep by a ghost, room 672. Alright, off to a good start, right? Let's keep on keeping on. Let's move over to Kragdarach Castle. It sounds like I'm speaking Klingon, but it's it's pronounced Kragdarach Castle. It's in British Columbia. Now here's the quick backstory. It was built by a coal mining millionaire in the 1890s. He died before construction was finished, then his wife died there a few years later. You could take a tour of the castle daily. Boom! All right, let's get to the ghosts. So, visitors have reported hearing a mysterious piano playing as they walk through the halls. Now, I think they meant there's no piano there, not that they hear some piano music and they go, hmm, that's a mysterious piano. Also, a woman in white is supposedly... Well, I'm going to say presumably, Joan Dunsmuir, the wife of the guy that had it built and died there, she's actually seen in a ball gown walking down the main stairs. Not tripping and falling, I might add. She's also seen many times standing and looking out the castle window. So we've already got a mysterious piano. We've already got a woman in white. 
the basement of the castle is supposedly haunted by a young girl. She's seen often standing in the cellar area, glaring at the floor. So, yep, creepy kid ghost being creepy, check that off the list. Apparently, as soon as she's spotted, she fades away right in front of whoever spotted her. So, good luck, I guess, spotting her? I don't know. I don't want to see her. I'm not going down to the cellar so I can see some creepy, you know, Blair Witch-like freaking ghost in the corner. But, tourist guests have also reported sudden drops in temperature, the scent of candle wax coming from above them, another ghost kid crying, or maybe the same one, who's to say, a maid ghost, music playing by itself, whispers, footsteps being heard in hallways where no one is there, a man ghost walking up the stairs, objects moving on their own, and again, the sound of a piano coming from the dining room when no one's there. So we got a little bit of everything and a creepy ghost kid to boot. Now, the son of the guy that built the castle, his name is James Dunsmuir. He also built himself a castle when he got older. And that one has paranormal activity too, but not as much. So uh, if you want to see two castles by two guys named Dunsmuir, go there. This castle seems to be a little bit better. All right, let's keep on keeping on. Next up, Gibraltar Point Lighthouse in Ontario. Now, it began in 1808. It is the oldest existing lighthouse on the Great Lakes and one of Toronto's oldest buildings. Boom, let's get to the spooky stuff. It's supposedly haunted by the first lighthouse keeper. People have said to hear him moaning inside the lighthouse. I'm not going to comment on that. But oh, actually, you know what? I am going to comment on that. How do they know that the moaning they hear inside the lighthouse today is the first lighthouse keeper, John Paul Riedelmuller. How do they know it's his moaning and not one of the other 11 men that have been its lighthouse keeper throughout the years? Well, I'll give him a little bit of credit because here's the tale of John Paul Riedelmuller. Riedelmuller. He was murdered in 1815 at that very lighthouse. The story goes that soldiers from Fort York visited good old John on the evening of January 2nd, 1815, in search of his bootlegged beer. But they had already had too much to drink, and a fight broke out, ending in John's murder. So, drunk soldiers say, hey, I know what I'm going to do, and they chop up John, and they hide his body parts around the outside of the lighthouse. Few years pass, obviously they've replaced John with the next couple of lighthouse keepers, so a few years pass, and a lighthouse keeper says, who must have been insanely bored, says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out looking for John's remains. And in 1893, he found part of a jawbone and coffin fragments. Okay, let's pause right here. Part of a jawbone and coffin fragments? Did they put John in a coffin and then chop up the coffin? That's dumb. I, I mean, that's just dumb. Anyhow, so this guy, he finds the jaw parts and apparently coffin parts. How the hell does he know what coffin parts look like 90-some years later or 80-some years later? It doesn't matter. So anyhow, that is why people think it's John moaning to this day. So, hey, look. If you want to be a lighthouse keeper to a defunct lighthouse that doesn't work anymore, 
but they still have to have keepers there for some god unknown reason. If you want to be a lighthouse keeper and you want to moan a lot, I'd say get a job at this lighthouse because anybody that's walking by and they hear you moaning aren't going to go, oh, <laughs> Kurt's moaning in the lighthouse again. Nope. Nope. I can moan all I want. And they're going to think, wow, I just heard the ghost of John Rattlemuller moaning. Anyhow, back to the story. So there's also a lot of reports of seeing the light from the lighthouse, which seems exactly what they should be seeing from a lighthouse. But like I just said, this lighthouse has not been operational since the 50s. So there we go. You got a lighthouse. You got moaning. You got a light from a defunct lighthouse. The moaning is probably animals or birds or current lighthouse keepers. And the light, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's, it's ghost light. Don't know. All right. Speaking of lighthouses, here's a very quick tale from another lighthouse in Canada. It's called Peggy's Point Lighthouse. It's in Nova Scotia. Now, people have seen an apparition of a lady in a blue dress over the years standing on the edge of the rocks about to jump. Depending on where you get your information, she's either an immigrant who left her children in Europe, or she was shipwrecked nearby, but her children died in the shipwreck. And in a completely normal effort to cheer her up about her just-killed children in the shipwreck, her new husband started to dance on the slippery rocks. He fell and died, leading her to commit suicide. So, yeah, I don't know. All of these... All these Canadian ghost stories are really kind of odd. Just slightly odd enough to make me go, what? All right, I guess. That's that's weird and creepy. Sure. All righty, moving on. Let's move on to the Fairmont Empress Hotel in Victoria, British Columbia, built in 1908 by Sir Francis Rattenberry. The story goes that in the 1920s, Francis hooked up with a young hottie named Alma Pakingham. Now, he was still married, but he quickly dumps his wife, his old wife. He's like, hey, Flory, go away. I'm going after young, hot Alma. And sadly, Flory died of cancer shortly afterwards. The people that knew him hated him for that. So he and Alma take off to England, where Alma, basically taking a cue from Francis, does basically the same thing. She hooks up with 17-year-old chauffeur George Stoner, who, spoiler, bludgeons Francis to death with the croquet mallet. So, young George was given a death sentence, so Alma couldn't take it. She kills herself by stabbing herself five times in the heart. Again, legend says she stabbed herself five times in the heart. How you do that to yourself, I don't know. But, George's sentence was reversed to life in prison. Womp womp. Anyhow, back to Francis. All right, he's dead, but his ghost starts appearing back in Canada, yep, at the Fairmont Empress Hotel. And pretty regularly, too, I might add. Guests have seen a man in 1920s clothes on the staircase. He's also seen in the lower lobby. And he's not the only ghost. There's also the ghost of a chambermaid, Lizzie McGrath, who died in 1909. She's also seen there. And her story, well, her quick story is... She went to step out onto her fire escape, but the fire escape had been removed for construction. So she goes to step out and she falls to her death. Look, Kurt here again. 
I have said this so many times on past episodes. I've said it a bunch of times, and I'm going to say it again here. Listeners, always check for the fire escape before stepping onto the fire escape and falling to your death and becoming a ghost in a Canadian hotel. I don't know how many times I got to say that. I mean, it just seems like I say it every week now. Okay, there's also another ghost there too, and that's the ghost of an elderly woman in pajamas who reportedly knocks on doors and leads guests to the elevator before disappearing. So, elderly woman in pajamas, you win for the creepiest ghost at the Fairmont. There you go. But, I'm not done yet. Let's read a TripAdvisor review of this hotel. That's right. You can still stay there. So, the TripAdvisor review says, This site is haunted. In the 1970s, a construction worker fell off the sixth floor and passed away. In 2016, another construction worker named Troy and his co-worker, I'm assuming named Abed, saw what they believed to be the ghost of the man who died in the 70s. My girls rode up and down the elevator and were afraid to get off on the sixth floor. They said a man blocked them from getting off the elevator, so they rode it back down. Later, we read a book about Victoria hauntings, and my girls were freaked out because the sixth floor is where you see the construction worker. Dun, dun, dun. All right, let's keep on moving on. Look, there's a lot of ghosts to talk about, so let's do a uh, quick debunk, and we'll get back to the ghosts. There are a ton of sites, and I mean a ton of sites, that say that the St. Louis ghost train abandoned tracks in Saskatchewan you got to cut down on that name. You can't call it the St. Louis Ghost Train Abandoned Tracks in Saskatchewan. But that's what they call it. Google that. You're going to see there are a ton of sites that say those things are haunted. That people report seeing a ghost train light on the tracks. Most sites say it's 100% haunted. That ghost train is real. So many paranormal investigators have seen it and there's no possible explanations other than a ghost train. Look, a lot of sites say, hey, it's a ghost train, or it's the ghost of a drunk brakeman who lost his head to a passing train and now wanders up and down the tracks with a lantern attempting to find his own head. In fact, in 2014, yet another one of these things, where the, Can where the, Canada, where the Canada Post issued a stamp depicting the St. Louis ghost train, one of a series of five depicting Canadian ghost tales. Here's the problem. I told you this was going to be a debunk, remember? Here is the problem. Two high school students did a project on how the light is probably in effect from a nearby highway. They even won a prize at their science fair for debunking it. But again, shitty sites still say it's haunted. Alright, here's a news story about them. Alicia and Shannon are grade 12 students who live in northern Saskatchewan. Shannon believes in the paranormal... Alicia is the skeptical type. When Shannon told Alicia how she and a group of her friends freaked out when they spotted the ghost train during a road trip to St. Louis, Alicia scoffed. I argued that it's probably car headlights, Alicia said when she and Shannon were interviewed by telephone, but everyone else was like, well, what if it's not? What if it's a ghost train? As it happened, the two friends were one good idea short of a science fair project. Studying the St. Louis ghost train seemed a good way to satisfy their curiosity and earn good science marks while they were at it. 
They began with the hypothesis that the ghost train was nothing more than vehicle headlights from a nearby road. They researched their topic over several trips to St. Louis in the fall of 2001 and winter of 2002. St. Louis is located less than a half hour, blah, blah, blah. Using a 1 to 50,000 scale map, a compass, and a global positioning system borrowed from Alicia's father, who's involved in mineral exploration, the girls calculated their, per their precise location while viewing the mysterious lights from the old track bed. On the map, they drew a straight line from their location through the spot where the light appeared to originate and beyond. They then marked all roads on or near the line, paying particular attention to the latter. Apparently, there have been other people investigating this thing, even scientists. We thought that if it turned out to be a road that completely lined up with the line, they would have found that out. But, for testing the various locations, the girl enlisted the help of Alicia's father. They asked him to drive to the first spot on the map and position his vehicle so that his headlights aimed in their direction. The two parties stayed in, stayed in touch by cell phone. They say, okay, now flash your lights. He flashes lights from a half a dozen locations as Shannon and Alicia stood outside their vehicle at the old train crossing, carefully watching for the ghost train light to appear. Except for the odd coincidence, however, there was no match between the flashing headlights and the appearance of the ghost train. Dun-dun-dun. As they mauled the disappointing reviews or results, the girls wondered whether the roads they were testing were simply too low to be seen from the old track bed. The nearest roadway, roadway was a similar elevation, however, it was a hilltop section of Highway 2, 5.3 miles away. So... They go there. His dad, Their dad goes there. And he's just flashing his lights off and on. He'd tell me when he turned on his lights and it, and it was exactly like there was no question that was where the ghost light was coming from. For 20 minutes they did this. They observed an oddish reddish light reported by ghost train observers. According to the legend, the reddish light, you already know the legend. She said, we were shocked with the results. It was exact. Every time he flashed his lights on, we would see the ghost light. Every time he turned his lights off, the ghost light would go away. So their research suggests an optical phenomenon called diffraction may be the answer. Light passing through a small opening, perhaps some distant trees on either side of the old track bed, can diffuse and expand the light in size. In other words, headlights normally too tiny to be noticed would become apparent through diffraction. I'm not going to read you the rest of it. Boom, bam, done. These kids are awesome. So, nice debunk ladies. Two points for you. I know you already got points like a while ago from, you know, the science fair, but two paranormal almanac points from me. Okay, look, you can't talk about Canada without talking about hockey. So let's do that now. Let's go to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Now, before it was the Hall of Fame, it was a bank of Montreal. Now, the story goes, a lonely bank teller named Dorothy took her own life after her romantic advances were rejected by the bank's manager. Dorothy's ghost is now believed to occupy the Hockey Hall of Fame, with visitors reporting they heard the sounds of a woman crying throughout the building. Okay. I thought there is no possible way I'm going to be able to verify or debunk the legend. But surprise! A local newspaper wanted to find out if there's any proof to this story, or any truth to the story, I should say. So here's their story. In the early 1900s, nope, that's wrong. In the early 1990s, a few years before the Hockey Hall of Fame moved into the historic building that had been a Bank of Montreal branch for close to 100 years, Toronto musician Joanna Jordan saw a female ghost looking down on her from a second-floor ceiling. 
Jordan, who was playing the harp at an event being held in the building's Great Hall, was unaware at the time that the ghost purportedly haunted the space. She says, I remember it so vividly, because it's one of those things you'll never forget. Jordan refused to go up to the second floor by herself when she played at the hall, which, again, opened in 1993, some years later. She said it was just too spooky up there. It's assumed by those who believe in such things that, jo that Jordan had seen the spirits of a young teller known as Dorothy, who had killed herself in the bank sometime between the early 1900s and the 1960s, according to various sources. So, since Dorothy had been written about so many times, could they confirm who she was? Well, they did. The star has learned that she was Dorothea May Elliott, 19 years old. She shot herself in the early morning of Wednesday, March 11, 1953, and died 22 hours later at St. Michael's Hospital. They said her death didn't garner much attention from the newspapers of the day. The long-defunct Toronto Telegram ran a brief item on March 11th, which reported that police were checking a story that the attractive young brunette may have been despondent over a love affair. Neither paper mentioned her name, but it did appear on a death notice on the March 13th uh, edition of the newspaper that the Star discovered. Over the years, other rumors emerged. One version accused her of having been caught stealing money. Another said she had been discovered helping members of the Irish Republican Army who were planning to rob the bank to fund their cause back home. And a psychic several years ago said she was murdered because she had uncovered a scheme involving the bank manager, the chief of police, and a leading judge, all of whom were embezzling money belonging to farmers. But the most common theory is that she was having an affair with either the teller or the branch manager, a married man who had an apartment in the bank. Yep. They actually talked to someone who worked there at the time. They said she was a beautiful young woman who was very popular. She looked like actress Rita Hayworth. She also said that Dorothy had been orphaned at age nine following the deaths of her parents a few years apart. Then Redwood, the bank's messenger in 1953, described her in a 1982 interview as, quote, the life of the party, the most popular girl in the bank. He said she shot herself in the women's second floor washroom with the bank's revolver, a 38 caliber, which was kept in his drawer. Years later, his son Vic said his father told me that he and an ambulance attendant carried Dorothy downstairs, likely still alive, in a wooden Windsor-style chair. That chair was at my parents' cottage as late as 1990. Then, a few years ago, I spoke with someone who... Oh, he, he then went on to say, a few years ago, I spoke with one of Dorothy's fellow workers who thinks she's the last person to see her alive. Dorothy was a beautiful, tall, beautiful girl, tall and buxom. I wasn't, I wasn't very sophisticated at the time, but she was. The men liked her, eh? You know, that's how you know it was Canadian. Just after 9 o'clock, another employee began screaming and yelling over the balcony. They raced upstairs. They discovered Dorothy's body. They said they didn't even hear the shot. So, it does seem like it is true. Every part of this story connects. It's bizarre. For many years, staff and employees of this building since Dorothy's death, have seen her on the second floor. They've actually seen her all over the place. They've heard her crying. And a lot of the employees refuse to be in the building after 6 p.m., with most of them refusing to go to the second floor after having encounters there with Dorothy. Common activity includes cold spots, lights flickering on and off, doors opening and closing when no one else is around. Other reports say they hear moans and screams throughout the building, as well as people hearing footsteps. Some witnesses say a phantom hand touched their shoulders, 
one young male visitor to the Hall of Fame started to scream, Don't you see her? Don't you see her? And he stated he saw a woman with long black hair walking through several walls upstairs. So, it seems like this Dorothy story, the legend seems to be true, and the ghost that everybody keeps seeing and hearing seems to be that of Dorothy. Alrighty, with hockey out of the way, let's keep moving through haunted Canada. But you know what this episode needs now? If you said this episode needs a really quick story about Canadian ghost nuns, you're right, it does. So let's move on over to St. Francis Xavier University. Open in 18... It uh, doesn't matter. 1885, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. Ghost nuns. All right, so now it's a residence. Students have reported books being knocked over, echoing footsteps, elevators that go to the wrong floor or open and close on their own, and wait for it, ghost nuns. That's right. Gilmora Hall is haunted by a nun who, legend has it, fell in love with the priest but felt so much guilt she committed suicide by jumping from the top of the hall. She's now known as the Blue Nun of St. Francis. A lot of freshmen reported seeing a glowing blue habit nun drifting through their dorm rooms, through the walls, and down the halls. They also report hearing sounds of footsteps, walking the halls late at night, hearing disembodied voices in the hallway, and giggles in the hallways when no one was there. Some students have also reported lights and appliances turning on in the middle of the night, objects moving on their own, including textbooks being strewn across the dorm room floors, slamming doors, water faucets turning on and off, like crazy, shadow figures, and even the sound of an old telephone ringing. I told you it was a quick one. That is it for the Blue Nun of St. Francis. Still, though, after, after, like, kid ghosts, I would say that ghost nuns, that's pretty high up on my list of ghosts I don't want to see. I'm not even Catholic, and I still don't ever want to see a ghost nun. Alrighty, let's move on to the Mount Pleasant Cemetery in Toronto. Here's the problem here. There are a ton of BS videos about the Mount Pleasant Cemetery in Toronto. They're all on YouTube, and it almost made me want to take this one off this episode, because nothing even remotely paranormal happens in these videos. I watched a bunch of them. They're just a bunch of inconsiderate morons walking around the cemetery, retelling bullshit stories and scaring each other. Nothing. But there were a lot of independently reported ghost stories from this cemetery, so I'm going to keep it in, but it's really quick. And the reason I'm keeping it in is pretty much this last one, but here you go. It's the last one on this little list of what's seen or heard here. Okay. What's heard or seen here? Well... Unusual noises, whispers, electrical issues, shadow people darting about, strange light patterns, and this is the reason I kept it in this episode. Something invisible once pushed a groundskeeper off of his lawn tractor, like knocked him square on his ass off the lawn tractor, and he didn't, he looked around, he was like, what the fool just knocked me out? And there was nobody there. That's the reason I kept this one on here. Like I said, I'll be honest, I don't normally give any credence to haunted cemeteries because who's haunting a cemetery? Why would you haunt a place they were never at while alive? I can get like Gettysburg and places that were turned into cemeteries or I don't know. I, most times, though, cemeteries have no connection to the living. They're just for the dead. You know what I mean? So 
why would a ghost be like, well, I guess I'm going to wander the cemetery for the rest of eternity? That just seems weird to me. Okay, let's go over to Nova Scotia to Seal Island. Seal Island is filled with the ghost of Seal. You know the singer Kissed by a Rose? Well, legend has it that the singer Seal died there while making a music video. No, none of that is true. It's not haunted by Seal, and it's also not haunted by seals, like the animals. It's actually haunted by the spirit of Annie Lindsay, who was a stewardess on the SS Ottawa, which shipwrecked off the island in 1891. Now, legend has it that the boat ran aground on a bunch of rocks just off the island, so they were like, all right, everybody abandoned ship. They got into the, the, the lifeboats, and the lifeboat hit a huge wave and flipped over. There were four people in the lifeboat. Two people managed to get out from under it, and two people were trapped under it. That was Lindsay and another man. They finally managed to flip that lifeboat over, and one of the men that was trapped underneath it, boom, he's still alive. He's like, oh, God, that was crazy. I'm good. But Lindsay had drowned. They managed to get her up on her lifeless body, up into the lifeboat, and onto Seal Island. Now, apparently, she was buried at the East End Church of Seal Island, where visitors can still see her grave marker today. But, supposedly, when her coffin was disinterred, 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 sure, years later, there was evidence that she had been buried alive. Look, I can't find any proof of them digging her up. So let's just go on to her ghost story, and let's say that the, uh, it's just the legend that she was buried alive. It's true that she died. That part is true. She drowned. That whole part, the Ottawa, that whole thing is true. But let's just get to her ghost, okay? Her ghost has been seen many times wandering all of Seal Island. She's mostly seen standing on the shore, looking out to sea before vanishing. Now let's stick with shipwrecks for a second, though. And let's go over to the Five Fishermen restaurant in Halifax. Before it was a restaurant, it was a funeral home called John Snow and Company Funeral Home. And it served as the morgue for the people that died on a little ship you might have heard of, the freaking Titanic. That's right, the John Snow and Company Funeral Home served as the morgue for the people that died on the, on the Titanic, not really on the Titanic, in the water around the Titanic when it went down, because rescue operations took place out of Halifax, which was the nearest mainland port. So Jon Snow boarded the cable repair ship Mackay Bennett, Mackay, sure, Mackay Bennett, taking with him 125 coffins, embalming fluid, and iron to weigh down bodies buried at sea. Now, the wealthier victims they found or came across were brought back to the mortuary on Argyle Street. There was also a second disaster, but I don't really know much about it. It was called the Halifax Explosion. It happened on December 6th, 1917. Apparently, it was equally horrific. And they said that the windows of the Argyle Street building shattered in the blast, but the funeral parlor remained open and again served as the morgue. The Snow and Company conducted funeral services for roughly 2,000 victims at a rate of 30 to 40 a day. People at the time said to the newspaper, there were caskets stacked up outside the building like cordwood. They were stacked that high. There were tons and tons of these caskets 
stacked like wood outside the funeral home. And since then, stories of ghosts and hauntings and creepy things have been seen in this building. Alrighty, let's get back to restaurant times. So, most of the restaurant staff and guests have reported a hell of a lot of paranormal activity in the restaurant. But most of the sightings occur just before the restaurant opens to the public and after it closes for the night. I'm talking objects being moved, stuff knocked over, sink taps turning on and off by themselves, ghosts being sighted all over the restaurant. Now here's some stories from staff and customers that I could find online. I can't verify any of these, but they seem to be true from staff and customers at this restaurant. A server was there late at night and he was sure he was the only one left in the dining room. He was checking the lights near the salad bar when he heard someone go through the swinging doors leading down into the kitchen. He turned quickly enough to see the door swing shut and ran to see who was there, but there was nobody else in the restaurant. Then the manager said this, I don't know if it's a current manager, but a manager, I'll put it that way, a manager of the restaurant said this, The story that really tickled me was when we had a family of ten from Manitoba. They didn't seem to know anything about the history of the building. On her way downstairs from the third floor washroom, a girl about 12 described seeing a young female draped in clothing and drifting over the staircase. She ran to her mother and the mother called over to the waitress who brought me over, the manager, and said, I listened to the story and the girl described quite accurately a ghost that is seen often. This same manager also told a story about a young dishwasher's first night on the job, late and alone, scrubbing and scouring pots and pans, when he heard a sound. Startled, he looked up and saw a ghost-like specter drift through the kitchen. Another waitress said she was there late at night. She heard the grand stairwell that leads down to the maitre d' stand. As she neared the grand stairwell that leads down to the maitre d' stand, she saw a gray apparition, a fog-like mass moving down the staircase. That gray-like mass was also seen outside of the second floor window by another staff member. They go on to say that many staff members regularly pass through cold air pockets on the warmest of nights or the sensation of what feels like to have a spirit move through you, and they always hear voices, especially their own name being whispered or even called out when there's no one else around. So these ghosts are really interacting with the staff here. They go on to say in the middle of one very busy night, a server was using the credit card machine when he felt a tap on his shoulder. Trying to finish what he was doing before turning to respond, he felt a second tap. He turned around and said, what? But there was nobody there. Another story, another story behind the salad bar at the Five Fishermen is a private room called the Captain's Quarters. Now, it's commonly referred to as the PR or private room by the staff who work there. One night after all the customers had left, a waiter passed the PR and heard two people arguing. The voices of a man and a woman, he says, and he heard them very clearly arguing. When he went to go and check out the voices, the voices just stopped. He walked in and the captain's quarters was empty. On another occasion, a different server was locking the doors and turning out the lights. When she approached the PR, she noticed someone enter it. She was like, oh crap, I almost locked a customer. When in. So she goes, you know, thought, oh my god, I almost locked a customer in here. So she goes into the PR, but it's completely empty. And there's no other exit. There's only one entrance in, one exit out. That's it. It's the same door this woman just walked through. Another story. A server was sitting up ahead of the salad bar at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. He heard a loud crash, checked to see what it was. When he looked around the corner of the bar, he found several pieces of an ashtray on the floor. Now, he bent down to pick up the ashtray, and when he stood up, there's a mirror behind the bar, 
and in the mirror he saw the reflection of an old man walking away from him down the aisle. The server says he was tall with long gray hair and he was wearing a long black great coat. He turned around quickly and there was no one there. Other staff have also reported seeing this old man in the long coat many times in the restaurant. So, if you want a place apparently for really good seafood, it's got great reviews, but if you want a place to see ghosts while you have really great seafood, might I recommend... Uh, what's it called again? Why not? What is it called? Uh, the Five Fisherman Restaurant in Halifax. If you find yourself in Halifax, you want some good seafood and some ghosts, that's the place I recommend going because apparently it's got both. Alrighty, that about does it for the first edition of Canadian Haunted Places. Now, I had thought I did an episode about Canadian Haunted Places, but I couldn't find it in my list of episodes, so I'm going to say the first edition. It might be the second edition. I'm starting to lose track. I've done a lot of episodes, but a, in my opinion, an incredible edition of Canadian Haunted Places. So if you find yourself in Canada, go to one of these places. Go to multiple places. I don't know. I know, I know Canada's a big place. I don't know how close these things are together, but uh, there's got to be a couple on these lists that are fairly close to each other. I'd say go to a couple of these places. Go check out Room 873. Bring me. I want to go to that place. Or go to this restaurant. Get some good food. See a ghost. You know, hear, hear it whisper in your ear your name. That's kind of creepy, but you know. There you go. Alrighty, so, Canadian listeners, why are your ghosts so creepy? Why are your ghosts so flippin' weird and creepy? And I know that for the most part, it's like every other place that has ghosts, but some of them, some of them are a little bit on the weird side, a little bit on the creepy side. Uh, why do you guys think that ghosts are always seen on stairways in, in hotels? I mean, that seems kind of weird, right? Almost every hotel that's haunted as a ghost that's seen on the stairway. Is that because the, the stairwells were used so often back in the day? Not so much anymore because everybody uses the elevator because we're all lazy bastards. But why ghosts on stairwells? Also, why do a lot of women ghosts seem to fall or trip downstairs and die? That seems to be another thing that seems to be happening more and more. Not happening more and more, but seems to have happened a lot in history. I'll put it that way. All right, you might be asking, Kurt, when are you going to do ghosts from my country? I don't know. You tell me. What what locations do you want me to investigate for ghosts from countries? Like, I love these kinds of things. I would love to do... I would love to do one for every country, or at least every continent, but I would love to do one for a lot of the countries that I want to go to. I love Canada. I've been there many a times. I grew up in Detroit. We used to go to Canada all the time. But I love the fact that pretty much any location you can look up you can find a haunted place. Alrighty, uh, I think that about does it for my questions. I mean, what else do you want me to say? Why are there Canadians? Because there's Canada. I don't know. So, thank you all for listening. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Hey, fuck it. Here's all we fuck it.